in thinking over the last uh, 15 years, I'm reminded of a church plant statistic that says that of those who are with the church plant are right when they start as what we call the launch team, just getting the thing off the ground and opening up the doors. 90% of that launch team is not with the church six months later. And so as I look at that, uh, I'm sorry, but as I look at that video and all those people that were with us before day one, in my house, in my detached garage, dropping their kids off in my detached garage. I mean, that's, that's, that's weird. <laughs> it's like, uh, and I look at them and I, and I realize that we're standing on their shoulders today. Um, and I got a special place in my heart, not that everybody does. And if you've been with us as Flipside from before day one, if you've been part of Flipside just yesterday, Man, I love you, and I'm so proud of you. Um, I've said oftentimes, you're a world-class church. You don't understand how true that is. Um, so thank you. Patient asked me this morning, he said, how are you feeling after 15 years? What's, what are your thoughts? And I said, it's just an overwhelming sense of God's mercy and grace. Because if you're like me, you know that without God's mercy and grace, done. You understand what I'm saying? And so I just praise him and thank him for it. Let me ask you this question. Let me get into my message. Let me ask you this question. Has your life ever been interrupted? Has it? Is it is like you're going along just fine all of a sudden it's, it's interrupted, Right? See, see, here's the thing. Here's what I know about, about when life gets interrupted. Some interruptions are annoying. Some interruptions are destroying. But some interruptions are worth rejoicing. Sometimes life gets interrupted. It's just annoying. You know, the cell signal gets interrupted. The television signal gets interrupted. The water service is interrupted. It's just annoying. But some interruptions are destroying. When your health gets interrupted by illness, when the peace of your family is interrupted by discord, it's destructive. We understand those types of interruptions, but sometimes interruptions are worth rejoicing. When your budget is interrupted by a raise, that's worth rejoicing. When the doctor's report is interrupted by a healing, that's worth rejoicing. And here's my suggestion this morning, that God's desire is to interrupt our lives with good things. God's desire is to interrupt our lives with the supernatural. I titled this message, Supernatural Interruptions. Because if you have a relationship with Jesus and believe the God of the Bible, God's desire is to interrupt your world in supernatural ways. I'm amazed, a little disappointed in insurance agencies who have writers in their policies that are called acts of God that they refuse to cover because everywhere they term an act of God as something negative and bad. Why aren't acts of God when heaven opens and blessings come down? Elijah is one of my favorite Old Testament prophets. He was a prophet of Israel. 
And his ministry was profound. Elijah was one of the men who had never died. One of the few who never experienced death. He was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind surrounded by chariots of fire. And before he was translated to heaven, he got a young protege named Elisha. And Elisha's life was interrupted right in the middle of a great life by a double portion of Elijah's blessing. And through Elijah's blessing, a double portion poured out on Elisha, God moved heaven and earth and interrupted life. For instance... Elisha talked to a widow who was looking at death and starvation. And he told the widow, go collect empty jars from all your neighbors and set them before the Lord. And sure enough, God filled every empty jar to the brim with oil, not only securing her health, but her financial future. It was life interrupted. Elisha told the king of Israel, looking at at, at starvation and a drought, He told the king, dig ditches. The more ditches you dig, the better your blessing will be because God will fill the ditches with water. And sure enough, ditches deep, long and wide. And God interrupted life and filled them with water. Supernatural interruptions. Elisha talking to a school of young prophets. They decided to build buildings and houses. And one of the young men was cutting down trees with a borrowed axe. And the axe head, the Bible says, flew off and flew into the lake. He was responsible for the replacement of the property that had been lost. He was not able to fulfill the obligation to pay it back. And Elijah took a stick and threw it into the lake and the axe head floated. Life interrupted. Even the bones of Elisha after he had died was buried. Years go by, his bones are in the grave in a cave. Another man has died and being buried. Raiders come down from the north and they just throw this poor guy's body in a cave. His dead body hits the bones of Elisha and he comes to life. Even death is interrupted. Supernatural interruptions. Supernatural interruptions are to be the natural course of faith. I want you to understand that. Supernatural interruptions are to be the natural course of faith. Consider just for a moment how Jesus taught his disciples to pray. His disciples came to him, saw all the work that he did, and the one thing his disciples asked him was teach us how to pray because they knew there was something significant about how Jesus prayed. One of the things that Jesus said, and teach them how to pray. What did he say? He said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? Thy kingdom come on earth. Supernatural interruption. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. Supernatural interruption. Understand this. God's plan and our prayer is that heaven interrupt earth on a regular basis. Otherwise, Jesus would not have taught his disciples how to pray. Thy kingdom come on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it already is there and happens in heaven. It should be that way here. Supernatural interruptions. Heaven is supposed to interrupt earth. Eternity is supposed to interrupt the temporal. The supernatural is supposed to interrupt the natural. And if that's the case, which it is, why hasn't this been our normal experience? I started flip side. 
because I wanted to see God interrupt life. And I wanted to see God interrupt my life. And I knew that the only way God was going to interrupt life is to do something in life that took great faith. I wanted to see my life interrupted. I wanted to see your lives interrupted. I wanted to see heaven invade the ranchos in real time. And my desire for me and my desire for you is that we begin to see the supernatural interruptions of God in our world as a common experience. Not something we just read about in an ancient text, not something we hear about in the lives of other people, but actually experience in the here and now. My parents took me to church. They started dragging me to church six months before I was born. You know what I'm saying? Every time the doors were open, we were there. And that was back in the day when church had night church. Church at night. You had to go two times at least a day, like on Sundays. I know, I didn't talk about Wednesday. I just talked about Sunday. That's all I said. This kid, this kid, I know, I know. Yeah, we had, we had like meals on Wednesdays too before, before Bible study. That was like all the time we were there. Here's the problem that made for me. Can I tell you the problem that created my life? The problem that created is I actually believed what they were talking about. My parents raised me to read the Bible. The problem with that, I actually believed what the Bible told me. My parents told me stories about God and God's people and his supernatural intervention in the world. And the problem is I really believe what my parents told me. My church told me all kinds of stories and instances and historical accounts when God invaded earth. And I actually believed it to be true. And so I figured when I didn't see in my life, in the lives around me, the world around me, consistency with what I saw in scripture, I figured one of two things was wrong. Either my life, others' lives, or the world was wrong, or God and his word was wrong. What other options are there? And the problem I grew up with and still believe is I've never, ever, ever believed the problem was with God nor his word. And as a result, I still believe to the very core of my being that heaven can still invade the earth. I still believe that the natural can still give way to the supernatural. I still believe that eternity and temporal were never meant to be separate. Think about the Garden of Eden. Before things got crazy because of sin, God walked amongst his creation in perfect union and fellowship and relationship. They were never meant to be separate. The problem is I still believe that. So why hasn't that been your experience, our experience? Let me define a little bit here. Let me define the natural. Because we live in the natural world governed by natural laws. The natural says this, the world operates according to laws of nature. We all understand that. For instance, law of nature, gravity. We understand what that is, right? Yeah, we get that. We don't question it. It's just natural law. We understand the, 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 the law of angular momentum. If you're not aware of this law, this law says this. When an object is in rotation, everything that spins off that object will be in the exact same rotation unless a, posit, a, a more powerful force forces against it to reverse its momentum. That law right there, a scientific, physical, natural law, debunks the, any idea of a Big Bang theory. Because in the universe, there are things spinning in multiple different directions. And the law of angular momentum says that cannot happen if everything it's created a one in a bang. We understand natural laws. 
We understand the three laws of motion, right? Like a body at rest remains at rest unless acted upon it. That's the first law of motion. The second law of motion says that the, the amount of acceleration that's produced is equal to the force applied against it. It's the second law of motion. The third law of motion says for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. We understand natural laws, right? Does anybody question these? No, because we live in this natural world governed by natural laws. The world functions according to these natural laws. And science's job is to discover God's laws for governing his creation, apply them to our lives, and we make best use of them for our life. Natural law, we understand it. What I believe from Scripture says is that there's another world as well. And it's not the natural, it's the supernatural. And the supernatural is when God overrides his own laws. And I believe that he's sovereign. I believe he's powerful. I believe he has the authority and the power to override these natural laws. See, a miracle is when God steps in from outside a situation and brings something from the outside of the situation into the situation from what naturally occurs. And I want to suggest to you that the supernatural is not as far away from you as what you might think or have come to believe. But it's predicated on faith. So someone's going to ask me, well, how do you define faith? Thank you for asking. Let me define faith for you. Here's what faith says. Faith is acting like God's telling the truth. That's all it is. It's not some big convoluted thing. Faith is acting like God's telling the truth. I heard one pastor say this, acting like it is so, even though it's not so, so that it might be so just because God said so. <laughs> Do you understand? It's acting like God's telling the truth. So let me transition now to understanding some Bible culture. Back in the day, when someone wanted to follow a rabbi, and all a rabbi was was a fancy name for teacher. So Jesus was a rabbi. They called him rabbi because he was a teacher. And if a, if a person wanted to be a disciple of a rabbi, that person would come to the rabbi and ask permission to follow him. And the rabbi had to give the person permission to be his shadow. So when Jesus called people to follow him, that was very different than the tradition of the day. Because Jesus didn't wait for people to come ask to follow him. Jesus called people to follow him. He went out and got people. And he got the people that nobody else wanted. And I love the fact that Jesus did it different. Because in my world, Jesus was the first flip sider. He did it different. He did it backwards. He did it upside down from what everybody expected. He sought people out and called them. And I'm so glad he did. Because as I read the Bible, I see this over and over and over again. God calling people to follow him. It started with Abraham and God called Abraham and said, leave your home and your family and, your land and go to a place you're not even aware of. I'm calling you to follow me. And it continued on all through scripture. It went to Esther and God called Esther, the beautiful, most beautiful woman in the world, and said, you will be my representative before the king to save my people. I'm calling you, Esther, to use who you are for my kingdom. And then he called Deborah and he said, Deborah, there's... Uh, 
nation that's coming at war against my people. I want you as a woman to lead my people in battle. I'm calling you, Deborah, to leadership. He called Matthew, an IRS agent, and said, get rid of the books and start following me, Matthew. I'm calling you to a life of holiness. He called Paul and knocked him off the donkey and said, Paul, I'm calling you to change the world by planting churches all around the world. He called people. He called Jonah. He said, Jonah, I'm calling you. I want you to go to Nineveh to the Assyrian Empire, the hated Assyrians, who's brutalized, raped them, enslaved your people, and called them to repent. I'm calling you through a fish. He over and over and over called people. He called the wind and the waves and the rain to sit down and shut up. He called Lazarus to come. He's always called, and I'm so thankful that he is, because guess who else he called? Me. Guess who else he called? You. He's called you. He's called you since before you were born. I want you to understand. John chapter 1. I want to show you an example of God calling. The following day, Jesus went, wanted to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to Philip, what did he say? Follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to Nathanael, We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, So, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said, Well, come on, check it out. If you notice, verse 43, the Bible says Jesus found Philip. Two verses later in verse 45, Philip tells Nathaniel, we have found Jesus. Who found whom? Hmm? Who found whom? That goes both ways. Listen, the question I have for you today is have you found Christ? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about trying to be good. I'm talking about, have you found the Christ? Psalm 14, 2 says, you will seek me or you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Have you sought him? Jeremiah 29, 13 says, seek me. There's an issue in all of us that has to be about the seeking and the searching for Christ. While that is going on, we know that God has first found us. Ephesians 1, 4 says, I chose you. I sought you and I chose you before the foundations of the earth. Can you imagine that he has sought you since before the earth was made? Do you know how much Jesus wants a relationship with you? Philip got Nathaniel and introduced him to Jesus. Here's, here's one, of, one of my problems with the church. The church has made it far too difficult to simply follow God. Far too difficult. Got all kinds of bells and whistles. We've added everything. All kinds of hoops to jump through. Let, 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 me, let me show you how simple it is to be a disciple. It's a two-step process. There's two steps to being a disciple to Jesus. Follow Jesus and introduce others to Jesus. That's as, that's as hard as it is. 
There ain't no program to go through. There ain't no book to study. There ain't no like six-month probation period to make sure you got your stuff together. It, you follow Jesus and he introduced others. That's his, that's his heart and simple. The entire discipleship process is summed up in following Jesus. Here's the thing. When you hear that Jesus says something, when you know that God says something, you know if you're a disciple, not a churchgoer, not a religion, you know if you're a disciple, if you're doing what he says. And not only that, the second part of it is if you look behind you and you say, this person's following Jesus because I showed him. This person followed Jesus because I showed him. This person followed Jesus because I If those two things are present, guess what? You might be a good person. You, know, you might even get to heaven. That's fantastic. But you're not a disciple. It's pretty simple. It's just two things. So Philip tells Nate, we found the one we're looking for. And Nate didn't believe him. Nathaniel didn't have faith to believe that the supernatural stepped in the natural. The heaven just showed up on earth. He didn't have faith to believe that. He said, can anything come out good come out of Nazareth? There's a reason he said it. It's like us saying, can anything good come out of Bakersfield? I don't know if there is. <laughs> it's like, like, can anything good? And here's the why. All four gospels and the Acts tell us that Jesus was from Nazareth. That was nothing to brag about. Here's why. One reason, because Nazareth might have had a population of a couple hundred people. It was like in the middle of nowhere between 41 and 99. It just, like nobody knew or cared. Also, Nazareth didn't have a great political reputation. There was a town just right at the turn of the century between B.C. and 80, like right around that, that time. It, there was a town, a Roman territory called Zephorus that was four miles away from Nazareth. And there was an armory in Zephorus. And that army was raided and the, the military weapons were stolen. Rome came in and in chastisement of the people who raided, crucified 2,000 Jews as in order to descend, what's that word? D disincentivize for their uprising. Zephorus was burned to the ground and its inhabitants taken off in slavery. Less than a decade later, those who were left in that city revolted against the taxation of Rome, and Rome came in again with more crucifixions. So one would understand why Nathaniel was thinking, anything good come out of Nazareth? Let me ask you this question. Have you ever been in a, a season of life when you're looking at the rubble around it and you're saying, can anything good? <laughs> can It's burned down. It's stolen. It's shackled. Can anything good come out of this mess? If you've had seasons of your life, years of your life like that, you understand Nathaniel's response. And Nathaniel, Jesus sees Nathaniel walking towards him. He said, behold, an Israelite indeed in whom is no deceit. He said, this is the guy right here. There's no deceit. There's no tricks. In it. He's authentic. Nathaniel said, how do you know me? Jesus answered, he said, before Philip called you when you were under the tree, I saw you, Nathaniel. Nathaniel answered and said, and Rabbi, teacher, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. She said, seriously? Because I said I saw you under a fig tree, you believe me because of that? You will see greater things than these, man. Most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you won't just see stuff like you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. Originally, Nathaniel doubted Jesus' divinity. He doubted he was all that was said about him. He doubted his divinity. He doubted his sovereignty. He doubted that he was, in fact, God. And Jesus responds to him in a way that puts his sovereignty on display. 
That word see is used in different ways in this passage. When, Nathan, when, when, when Philip tells Nathaniel, come and see, he says, come see with your eyes. Just look at him, check him out. When Jesus says, Nathaniel, I saw you. He's speaking about the spiritual perception of a heart. He says, when you, before you're even under the tree, this is what this verse means. Jesus answered, before, uh, before Philip called you when you were under the tree, before that, before he called you, even before the tree, I saw you. He's saying, Nathaniel, you have to understand that I have always seen you. I saw you when I knit you together in your mother's womb. I saw you before you took a breath. I saw you before your brain had activity. I saw you before the foundation of the world was even made. I see you. And he says the same thing to you. He says, I know where you've been. And I know who you are. And I know what you've been doing. He says, I saw you under the fig tree. I know where you've been. I know your past, and I'm still calling you. That's good news. He says, I know who you are. You are a man in whom there's no deceit. I know who you are. He says, I know what you've been doing, Nathaniel. How did he know what he'd been doing? We know that Jesus knew what he had been doing because of what Jesus said in verse 51. Now watch this. He added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. What Jesus is saying here is recorded for us in the book of Genesis, chapter 28. And chapter 28 is the story of Jacob, whose name was Trickster and the Deceiver. Remember what Jesus said about uh, Nathaniel? You have no deceit. You're different than Jacob. Jacob was in that moment when he was wrestling me and he wanted to see heaven open. And he saw angels ascending and descending on a ladder. And Jesus tells Nathaniel, I see you, I know you, I've called you, and I want to show you heaven open and angels ascending and descending. He knew who he was, where he was, and what he was doing. Nathaniel was studying the word of God to try to find out who God is. And Jesus said, you will know who God is because of why? Not because of some ladder you got to climb, not because of some rungs you got to go, not because of hoops you got to jump through, not on a ladder, but through me, you will see him. He says, if you want to see heaven, it's completely contingent upon your relationship with me. Why do you think that, that, that Philip told Nathan, that Nathaniel said, uh, told Jesus, you are the son of God. Yet when Jesus responded, he said, you will see heaven open and angels descend on the son of man. Why didn't Jesus use the same words that Nathaniel used? Nathaniel said, you're the son of God. And Jesus said, I want to show you heaven through the son of man. I'm going to tell you why. Because Jesus is both the lock and the key to heaven. Nathaniel wanted to see heaven, wanted to see the supernatural revelation of heaven in the world. And Jesus said, that'll happen, but it happens through me. God in the flesh. Let me tell you this, friends. If you don't have a relationship with Jesus and then become a disciple, you disqualify your opportunity to see heaven open and angels ascending and descending because it only comes through Jesus. And then Jesus turns to the disciples and the tense changes. He says, Nathanael, I'm talking to you. But then he turns and he says, all y'all, it turns from singular to plural, that word you. He says, all y'all will see angels ascending and descending through me. 
And in that moment, Jesus shows his divinity, his power as the omniscient God, and Nate drops to his knees. The supernatural invades the natural. So powerful was this moment for Nathaniel that tradition tells us because he saw the supernatural invade the natural in that moment with Jesus. So powerful that tradition tells us that after Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended back to heaven, so powerful was this moment that Nathaniel then went on to become a missionary and he was flayed alive and then beheaded. Here's the thing. If you ever have the choice to behead me and flay me, behead me first and then flay me. I don't care what you do after you behead me, but don't flay me first and then behead me. That kind of, you know, makes it worse. But he was flayed alive and beheaded. Why? Because he was a missionary and led the king of Armenia to Christ. This is who we are as Christians. This is who we are as Christians. People who have seen heaven open and angels ascend and descend on Jesus and are willing then to be all in. When God interrupts life in miraculous ways, it's always done for the glory and gain of Christ. Now, we might benefit from it too, but it's always done for the glory of Christ first as a witness and testimony to him, not for our benefit only. One, I'm going to tell you one, you know one reason we miss miracles? I'm going to tell you right now. Because we want God to move heaven into our earth for our benefit. And he moves heaven to earth, but not primarily for our benefit, for his glory. The other reason we miss it is because if God were to intervene miraculously, some of us are so freaking timid, it's unlikely that we would actually tell people that God who did it. We'd make up excuses. Well, it was this doctor, it was that realtor, it was that banker, it was that lawyer, it was all this other stuff. And God doesn't move heaven into earth when we get quiet about it. See, I was thinking about, I think we treat it as a movie ticket rather than a billboard. What's the movie ticket? It's something I own and I get to go have fun by myself for my benefit. What's a billboard? It's on display for everybody to see and be invited into. So here's what I'm saying. If you're a disciple, if you're unashamed to whom you seek the natural, the supernatural, if you're unashamed about what you seek from the supernatural, if you give credit for the supernatural, you're in a good spot to have heaven invade your world. You know what John 1 is followed by? Just because I start hollering, don't get you know, ignorant right now. You, you, you know what John 1 is followed by? John 2. Okay, come on, you know this. Let me just wrap up with this. Jesus just said, I'm going to open heaven up and show you heaven. You're going to see angels at work through me. He just said it. The very next thing that happens is John 2. And in the first part of John 2, Jesus starts to peel stuff back. Watch this. On the third day, there was a wedding in Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, We got no wine, Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman! What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says, do you do it? Nearby stood six stone water, uh, water jars, the kind used for the Jews in ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. Now he didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, look, everyone brings out the choice wine first. And then the cheaper wine after the guests are sloshed, man. But you say the best till now. What Jesus did here in Canaan of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And what happened as a result? They saw heaven open up, angels ascending and descending through Jesus, the miraculous showing up, the supernatural. And what was the result? His disciples what? This is when it clicked. This is when it made sense. The Bible says the wedding was on the third day. Do you know why that's important in the Jewish culture? Jewish weddings are usually done on the third day of the week. What's the third day of the week? Hmm? Tuesday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday. You go back in Genesis. I'm just dropping a little knowledge on it right here. You go back in Genesis. Sunday got a blessing. Monday got no blessing. Tuesday got double blessing. When Jesus, when God said, it is good, he said it twice on Tuesday. And so people get married on Tuesday, hoping for a double blessing from God. Did you know that? So Mary brings this need to Jesus because here's the truth. You can expect Jesus to act when you got a need. You can count. Just believe me on that. And she brings this need to Jesus and says, Jesus, we're out of wine. And he said, woman. Now, that's not derogatory. He's like he's saying, mother. Mom, come on. What does your concern have to do with me? Have any of you ever been in that spot in life when it felt like your concerns were not God's concerns? Where he was turning a blind eye and a deaf ear to what you were concerned about. Has it ever felt that way? Well, that has been the case for many people for a long time. But it's not that God isn't concerned. He's just doing things at a different pace. What does your concern have to do with me? What he was doing here was saying, Mother, you need to understand, I am not just your boy. I am your Lord. And you will respect me as the Lord. You need to back off a little bit. And let me be the Lord. And he was putting distance between he and his mother. So his mother would not think that she got special favors. Hey, look what my kid can do. So what yours is on the honor roll. Mine made heaven and earth. (laughs) Jesus said, look, mom, to take action at this time is not according to my time nor my plan. And I will not subject my plan for your desires, is what he says. But Mary knew that he eventually would act. And she turned her attention from Jesus to the servants and said, you do whatever he says. Because she knew that eventually he would do. Let me just ask you this. Any of you know the first recorded words of Jesus uh, of Mary in the Bible? Any of you know the first recorded words of Mary in the Bible? How? First thing she said that we have record of. How? How will this happen? Like, God, you just told me something. I don't know if I believe it. I got to know how. You ever been there? You know what her last recorded words were? Right here. Do what he said. She moves from how, Lord, how, God, how is it going to to just do what he says? Because he has all the in-between already planned out, mapped out, and scoped out. Just do what he says. Here's the thing, especially for my Catholic friends. Don't worship her. Don't pray to her. Just listen to what she said. And what she said is do what he said. Do you understand? I love the fact that Jesus gave her an answer and then she didn't harass him. 
She didn't bug him. She didn't get all passive aggressive with him. She didn't start posting. Well, I just don't know. (laughs) She didn't even talk to Jesus anymore. She never again talked to Jesus. She just told the others to get ready. Get ready for the answer. Because Mary gave Jesus the freedom to act according to his kingdom and his time and his will, heaven invaded the earth. Let me just wrap this up. Come up here, band. Let me just wrap this up. The instructions were to fill six jars with water, right? In total, that would represent about a thousand bottles of wine. That's a party worth going to. A thousand, because they already drunk a thousand. (laughs) there's some people getting stupid up in here you know what I'm saying they're just losing their minds the instruction was to fill them what did the Bible say they did they did what they filled them what to the brim church understand this you get what you prepare to get there's a passage in the Bible that says Jesus was unable to do many miracles there because they weren't ready for it because of their unbelief. We always get what we prepare to get. The lesson is this, get ready in advance of his activity for his activity. Literally, the Bible says they filled the jars up to high heaven. And they took Jesus literally. Listen, when you ever get an instruction from God, add your expectation to it. Add expectation to instruction. Ephesians 3.20 says that God is able to do a sittingly abundantly more than we could ever hope or imagine. Add expectation to instruction. The instruction was to put water in the jar. The expectation is that we're going to fill it to the brim because something good's about to happen. I want you to notice that Jesus did this miracle for only his disciples. He didn't share it with the crowds. So here's what you need to know. If you're a disciple of Jesus, he wants to open up heaven on your life. It's not something he does for the crowds. For the disciple, he opens up heaven so that you will believe in his sovereignty in his majesty, and that he is both the lock and the key to heaven. Tradition tells us that every disciple, except for Judas, every disciple, because of who they saw Jesus as, suffered greatly for their faith. And all but one of them was martyred. All but one, John on the island of Patmos. So profound is it when you see heaven open and angels ascend and descend, not just for our benefit, but because of the glory of God. So profound that is. This is what we started 15 years ago. And this is what we're still working for. To see heaven open up. To see the supernatural and our natural to see the glory of God through the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. Like the wine that the best was yet to come, so too with us. 15 has been great. I want to see more of heaven. 
I want to see heaven open up in my life. I want to see heaven open up in your life. I want to see heaven open up in the ranches. I want to see heaven open up in the world. So the big question, and I'll finish with this, is I need to ask you, are, become a disciple. You want to see heaven open up in your world, on your life. Become a disciple. Just not one who believes in God. Just not one who tries to does right. Just not one who goes. Become a disciple. And lay the supernatural request at the foot of Jesus and give Jesus the freedom to act according to his will and his time and his plan. Don't try to manipulate him. Don't try to convince him. Don't get passive aggressive when he doesn't. Expect him that he will act, but allow him the freedom. How, when, and where. And then as a disciple, what? Get ready. And get ready. Because I know he will. And so I just got to ask. I just have to ask. I wonder if there's anyone here who is a disciple. I wonder if there's anyone here who already is a disciple. I wonder if there's anyone here who wants to be a disciple. I wonder if there's anyone here who will lay supernatural requests at the foot of Jesus, expecting a response. I wonder, is there anybody here who will give Jesus the freedom to act without manipulating his hand? I wonder, is there anybody here who will expect the unexpectable expectation of the revelation of Christ in the world. I wonder, is there anybody here who will allow Jesus the freedom? How, when, and where? I got to wonder, is there anybody here who is ready? Apparently not. I got to wonder. I got to wonder. I got to wonder. Is there anybody here who is expecting heaven to open? See, here's my problem. I'm going to tell you, I started when I, I believe this stuff. You can't convince me otherwise. And this says I will see heaven open and angels ascending and descending on who Christ is. If you have not married your life to Jesus yet, you are void of seeing heaven open. I don't want that to be your experience. I encourage you in this moment right now to pray with me in the deep, deep sub, depths of your heart. Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you chose me before the beginning of the world. Thank you that you see me, my past, my present, and that you've called me to be with you. I accept you as my Savior. I accept you as my Lord. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be right with you. And now, Father, as your disciple, open up heaven and let me see angels ascending and descending in my life. Amen. words. Will you stand with me as we uh, take a moment to just lift our voices up to God? Who makes the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of Lord.